The Apparent Junction of Earth and Sky, Part 9. The bitter taste of tea was strong in his mouth. He hated tea, always had. Sitting there on the balcony looking over the dark, empty streets, the taste was no better though perhaps it was the company that made it so bitter tonight. Children ran through the rooms behind them, cackling and jumping across beds. Normally, he thought, she probably stopped them from doing that. Tonight, though, she was in a merry mood. Her smile never faltered. Not that she would look directly at him. Her eyes were fixed only on the boy, as if looking away would mean he might disappear again. Maybe she thought it was possible. Brendan leaned forward and sat the cooling cup of tea on a white saucer. Crystal taps rang across the balcony, courtesy of his shaking hands. He had barely spoken a word all night. He wasn't invited to. Instead, he pretended to be entranced by the hanging potted plants that stood still in the humid air. Instead, he watched the sliver of moon that hung over the decaying rooftops of the city. Instead, he looked at anything but Kieran and his mother. There was nothing but candlelight here. It illuminated their world the same as when they sat around their campfires in the woods a lifetime ago. There were dozens of flames now, though, spread across the tables and railings of the balcony. It was bright enough in bursts to see their orange faces from the corner of his eyes. Still, he silently waited for his turn to speak. Kieran told her almost everything. Their days in the wet cabin, how they traveled south and found their new home on the coast, the constant festivities and the yearly trips to the islands, just the two of them. He left out the drinking, of course, the smoking, too. He left out the drugs and the girls and waking up half-naked on the beach. He did tell her about the whale, though. Brendan didn't even know about that. He accused himself of jealousy, told himself to stop being childish. But there was a harsh reality in that place. He was miserably unwanted. Kieran excused himself to the restroom, leaving Brendan with her in a long, evening silence. I didn't think I'd see him again, she said. I told myself I wouldn't. I almost got used to the idea. Brendan smiled. For something to do, he grabbed the teacup again and took a sip. It was now much too cold, and he did his best to hide a grimace. Do you want more? she asked. No, no, no. I'm fine. She ran her hands over her thighs, straightening the fabric nervously. He seems happy. Brendan shrugged. Don't really know. He doesn't talk to you about things? He used to. Not much anymore. He cleared his throat, wishing silently for a whiskey. Neat. Well, he is eighteen. Seventeen. Still, she said, swallowing hard. We have plenty of kids who come through here and they shut down around that age. It's normal. Normal, he said, forcing himself to smile with his lips pressed together. Not easy. Kieran stepped back onto the balcony. 
He sat down again next to his mother. His eyes as large as his grin, he looked at her without a word. She began to laugh a little. As her laughter grew, she let her forehead fall toward his. They hugged. Brendan got to his feet. He walked clumsily into the dark, open bedroom beyond. Most of the children were asleep now, but some were still shuffling from one corner of the room to another. They were playing ghost in the graveyard, he thought, or something like it. Soon one of them would jump out from under a bed and scare the others. That would wake them all up. She set them up in a bedroom at the end of the hall, a room with two twin beds across from one another. Candles flickered there, too, waxy light dancing behind the tall crack of the open door. The hallway walls were pitch black as he neared the room. Inside, long shadows swayed lazily across the ceiling and over the white and blue stitched blankets. Brendan pulled off his shirt and sat on the edge of his bed. With a grunt of satisfaction, he peeled his socks from his feet and unbuttoned his jeans. He lay back and stared at the yellow glow as it ticked back and forth across his vision like a broken clock hand. When the door swung open, the light began to seize crazily. Brendan looked up to see Kieran walking into the room. The boy sat at the foot of Brendan's bed, his fingers laced at his knees. For a long time, neither of them spoke. Her hushed voice came to them from the hallway, but they could tell by her tone that she was speaking to the boys and girls still scrambling under the beds. You didn't have to leave, Karen said. I wanted you to have time together. Besides, I'm beat. Karen let his head hang for a moment before he turned to Brendan. Their eyes met for the first time in what seemed like weeks, at least since leaving home. Do you ever think about the cabin? he asked. How horrible it was. Brendan did smile then, a toothy grin that was on the verge of laughter. I do, he answered. A lot, actually. It wasn't quite as nice as this place. No shit, Kieran grinned. This is a five-star hotel compared to that place. They laughed quietly for a brief moment. Then Brendan reached out his arm and put his hand over the boys. We made it, though, he said. So far. The door creaked as she poked her head through. Kieran, she whispered. Come sit with me a little longer. I won't be able to sleep yet. The boy looked back at Brendan as if he needed permission. Brendan only nodded his head. I'll be there in a second, Kieran told her. She pulled away, sure to leave the door open wider than it had been before. Brendan noticed this. Kieran did not. He did, however, squeeze Brendan's hand. Love you, he said, forever and always. Brendan was half asleep by the time the bedroom door closed behind Kieran. He dreamed of country roads and foggy nights and empty trailer parks. He dreamed of this new life, but he did not dream of home. The next morning, Brendan rolled over to see that Kieran's bed was empty but unmade. He wondered what time it was before realizing that it really didn't matter anyway. They would probably be there for a while, waiting to see how things panned out. Unfortunately, it didn't take that long at all. Brendan pulled on his jeans and walked through the now vacant second floor. He stepped out onto the balcony, noting that his teacup from the night before was now gone. The saucer, however, sat in a stack on a wicker end table. Kieran was leaning on the railing of the balcony, propped up by his elbows. He turned when Brendan stepped out. 
Morning, he said. Brendan yawned the same back to him. He crossed over the wood planks and leaned forward next to the boy. You think they serve breakfast at this place? Brendan joked. Kieran didn't answer. Instead, he turned slowly to face him. She asked me to stay here with her, he said, his voice wavering. Brendan didn't look back. He focused his eyes on the pavement below, being sure to suppress the sting rising up behind them. For how long? he asked, doing his best not to convey the choking in his throat. For good? Brendan nodded. He ran his palms quickly over his face and then relaxed his body again. Everything in him, every part that knew Kieran so well, told him to keep it in check, to not give anything away, to let the boy have this one thing. It's up to you, he said flatly. I know it is, Kieran said, and I want to stay here, but you shouldn't. You should go home and be with Mika. Heartbreak wasn't something Brendan was used to in this new world. Indeed, it wasn't something he knew much about in the old. His life before was full of gray cubicle walls and ugly stained fluorescent lights. It was without substance except for the boy and his mother. It was, in so many ways, unchanged by the end of the world. But it was less painful then. Hating his spreadsheets and his bosses and his daily commute was nothing compared to how much he hated this, this moment, this crushing weight, this turning stomach. His life meant something now. Its moments were real. Though it disgusted him, he wished then that the numbness would return. Don't hate me, the boy said. Brendan tried to stop the tears, but he blinked and they came. They dropped silently, one from each eye, over the railing, past the balcony and onto the empty pavement below. He slapped his hand onto Kieran's back. I couldn't hate you, he said. I could never hate you. And so it was that Brendan found himself back in that truck, the one they left on the outskirts of the city. He was alone, unable to pry his eyes from the empty passenger seat. He did not cry anymore, but there was still a heavy stone in his gut. He told himself that he would not think about the boy until it was no longer painful. Years if it took that long. He would bite his lip or gnash his teeth or dig his fingernails into the palms of his hand to distract himself if that's what it would take but he would not think of the boy. The truck sputtered treacherously as he turned the key, but the engine finally rolled and the vehicle came to shuddering life. It probably wouldn't make it all the way back home, he knew, but that didn't matter. He wanted to get away from this damn city. He pulled out onto the empty highway and drove away from the boy. The crumbling buildings of New Orleans planted firmly in his rearview mirror. The Apparent Junction of Earth and Sky is a series of short stories available at noahwelsh.wordpress.com. You can purchase the collection in paperback exclusively on Amazon.com, containing original photography by Aaron Budrow. This has been a production of Lava Lamp Studios.